It's a little intimidating to be speaking in a chapel with this kind of grandeur. Um, it, I'm quite amazed by, by an architecture such as this. But what I'm going to be speaking about is, has equal grandeur because it is, it is something astounding that God is doing um, in some parts of the world. David Garrison wrote a book recently called A Wind in the House of Islam in that he traces the movement of the Spirit of God over the last 1400 years, right from the early days of Islam, a move of the Spirit of God that has been drawing Muslims to follow Christ. David Garrison says that there are more Muslims choosing to follow Christ today in the world than at any other point in the last 1400 years. It would seem as if the Muslim world is at a very strategic point, strategically, uh, which most of the world and most of the world's media uh, do not even realize. The war on terror has conditioned us to fear the Muslims. I was reminded of this last year when I was speaking at a church in Calgary, and after I spoke during the question answer period, uh, an older woman said to me, she said, what you are saying about what God is doing in the Arab world is absolutely new to me. She said, when I see a woman, a Muslim woman wearing a hijab, walking down a street in Calgary, she said, I cross to the other side because I'm scared she will kill me. <laughs> While this may be an extreme example, it highlights the deep fear we have of Muslims and the fear that pervades so much of our society. They are seen as outsiders. They are seen as a threat. To try and relate to them and befriend them in any way, in some ways is seen as a betrayal of our national and our political allegiance and a compromise of our culture. However, there is something remarkable that God is doing in the Muslim world today. While the media and the headlines are dominated by the brutality and the horrors perpetuated by ISIS and Al-Qaeda, while the media talks a lot about the churches that are being burnt and desecrated in the Middle East and of Christians and other religious minorities being driven from their homes, there is another story of God that is being written and that is unfolding that the media does not even talk about or is even aware of. We just spent the last six years in the Middle East as global field staff with the Canadian Baptist Ministries. During that time, we set up a relief operation for Syrian refugees in Lebanon, and we set up another operation inside Syria uh, to help those who were affected by violence and conflict. All the assistance was provided, is still being provided through local churches, and there is no con conditionality uh, in the assistance that's being provided. No refugee or refugee family is required to attend any church service or to take any Christian literature. However, Christian literature is available, and if they would like to attend a church service, they are more than welcome. But there is no conditionality. What we began to see is absolutely something remarkable. Other organizations are also reporting something similar. Hundreds and thousands of people from other faiths, especially Muslims, are turning up in churches and saying, tell us about Jesus, both inside Syria and in Lebanon. 
This is not uh, conditional on whether they receive food aid or not. There are many who receive nothing are turning up at churches and saying, tell us about Jesus. There are miraculous things happening. I could talk about healings and dreams and visions, uh, uh, but I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to tell you one story, which is absolutely remarkable about how God is working. Through one of the churches in Lebanon, a young Muslim man by the name of Muhammad uh, came to follow Christ. And he was absolutely passionate. One of those people you meet, you see them, their faces glows with Jesus. They just love Jesus. They can't get enough of his word. Uh, and he had been about a believer, about a follower of Christ for about four months when he got caught up in a sweep that the Lebanese military does often through the streets of the cities where they pick up young men who are refugees um, to prevent any further problem. They just, whether you're guilty or not, they, they pick you up and they put you in jail. Um, just as a precaution. So in one of those sweeps, Muhammad was arrested. And on his way to jail in, in the police van, next to him sat this man who was six foot five, at least according to Muhammad, a huge man, big beard, Arab robe, fierce looking character. And uh, Muhammad's a slight little man, smaller than me, if you can imagine that. Um, they start talking in the van. They end up uh, in the prison, which is not a very big room in the particular cell. And Muhammad doesn't know what to do. So he goes into a corner, puts his face in his hands and starts praying because he has nothing else to do. What do you do in a cell with 30 other men? After a few minutes, his friend from the van walks up to him and says, Muhammad, what are you doing? And he says, I'm praying. He says, who are you praying to? He says, I'm praying to Jesus. He says, your name's Muhammad. Why are you praying to Jesus? And Muhammad says, well, let me tell you. And he starts telling him about Jesus. And within three or four minutes, everything he had learned in the last four months, he had exhausted and he had, didn't know where to go with it. And I've heard this so many times from Muhammad. He said, I prayed in my mind, there is no way anybody could have heard me. He said, I prayed, Jesus, I wish I had a Bible. And he says, I had finished praying that within a few seconds, not even a few minutes, a man walks up to him in the cell and says, I heard you talking about Jesus, here's a Bible. So he hands them an Arabic Bible, and they open the Bible, and he knows the book of John, and he starts reading the book of John with his big, massive friend. And they read through the book of John, they're talking about Jesus, and it becomes night. And they finish the book of John, it's late at night, they go to sleep. Next morning, Muhammad wakes up, doesn't see his friend, so he thought the military must have moved him to another jail, another cell, whatever it is. He must have been a terrorist or something like that. A few hours later, this man walks up to him, who looks familiar but has no beard, wearing Western clothing. And he says, Muhammad, don't you remember me? He said, no. He says, last night you told me about Jesus, so I decided to follow Jesus. I shaved my beard, I changed my clothes, so I followed, I'm following Jesus. Absolutely total transformation. And then Muhammad's sort of excited, not sure how, whether he should be excited or not, sort of excited, and his friend says, you don't recognize me, do you? He says, no. He says, I'm one of the key Al-Qaeda leaders in Lebanon. <laughs> this is what God is doing in Lebanon, just like that. And we are hearing stories like this right across Lebanon and Syria. 
Missiologists would often speak about how difficult it is to evangelize Muslims. Uh, we are re realizing that there's a whole different paradigm that God is beginning to use to reach Muslims in the Middle East. In evangelizing Muslims, it is often hard to speak about Jesus because they believe Jesus is a prophet and not the Son of God. And in any arguments that one would have, they would say, Jesus, they don't believe in the virgin birth after all. How can you believe the virgin birth? It's not a scientific thing. Um, they feel that their understanding of the one God is far superior to our understanding of the Trinity. So while we cannot respond to them rationally and explain all of this, most of them do not accept any of those explanations. What we have been seeing instead is God using dreams and visions or instances like the one I mentioned to reveal himself to Muslims. They're not the type of dreams you and I would have. It is a real encounter with Jesus. I could tell you stories where people wake up and they will tell you they have actually met Jesus in the dream. However, what our time in the Middle East has shown us is that there is a very bit different paradigm of ministry that Muslims respond to, a paradigm of, of ministry through local churches that Muslims are responding to. So I want to just share in our time, I want to just share two uh, thoughts. The first one is that it's about unconditional love. Unconditional love requires us to move beyond our comfort zones and to begin to relate to those who are outside our community. Miroslav Wolf, the Croatian theologian who's at uh, uh, Yale University, uh, describes during the Balkan conflict in the 1990s that he realized that churches only ministered to themselves. They excluded everybody else. And he wrote a book called Exclusion and Embrace about his experience there. And he basically says, he says, God does not exclude us because of who we are. We are actually outsiders, but God embraces us and calls us his own. And he says, that's the model for ministry. We include the outsider. We don't exclude those who are outside. Now, some of you may not know the history of Lebanon. The Syrians had occupied Lebanon for 20 years, and it was a brutal occupation. There isn't a family in, in Lebanon, Lebanese family, who has not, who cannot tell you about a brother or a father or an uncle who was either killed or tortured or imprisoned. They all have their stories. Lebanese hate Syrians. Yet, when the Syrian crisis started in 2011, the Lebanese Baptist, one of many organizations, decided that they would reach out to the Syrians. And I remember one of our pastors in the, in the Bekaa Valley coming up to me and he says, Rupin, I need to tell you, uh, and he told me about what the Syrian military had done to his family. And then he made a comment, which I found absolutely astounding. He says, you know, Rupin, if I cannot forgive the Syrians, I should not be a pastor. I thought, wow, I'm not sure I could have said that if I had experienced what he had experienced. And he led his church through a process of forgiveness. And they've established, it's a little church of 60 people that have established a food aid program, provision of, of winterization supplies, and they've established a school for refugee kids. For over a thousand families, a church of 60 people ministering to a thousand families. They run a VBS every summer with, with over a thousand kids, a church of 60 people. 
including the outsiders. The impact that they're seeing is absolutely astounding. Dudley Woodbury, um, uh, uh, wrote, uh, uh, who was a missionary in Pakistan and is, is now uh, on the faculty of, uh, of Fuller Seminary, he did a study of, of 750 Muslim background believers, Muslims who had chosen to follow Christ over a 30-year period. Uh, and this is what he found from the 750 he interviewed. And he asked them the question, so why did you choose to follow Christ? And this is what they said. They were attracted to a loving lifestyle that showed compassion to those in need and to those on the outside. They had experienced the reality of God uh, through healing on some other demonstration of his power. They had experienced deliverance from demonic power. This is a real issue as large segments of Islam is not pure Islam, but is folk Islam. They had seen dreams and visions. But almost 70% said they had responded to Christ because some Christian or some church had demonstrated love to them. 70%. The idea of welcoming the stranger, the foreigner, the outsider, as you know, has very deep biblical roots. It's in the Old Testament, and it, and it talks about including the foreigner that is in your community. Interestingly, in Psalm 146, it says, verse 9, it says, The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widows. The fatherless and the widow were Jews. Of course, the Lord looks after his own people. But it says he looks after those who are not his people the foreigner. And for me, I begin to realize it's not just about God's people and God's community and, and my church. It's about those who are on the outside. I do not, should not be excluding them, but I should be embracing them. The second thing that I want to share is, is what Muslims are attracted to is the reality of Christ. It's not a propositional truth. They're attracted to the reality of Christ. And what they are attracted to is the reality of Christ in a community of faith. Islam is not a religion for individuals. The concept of ummah or community is foundational in Islamic thought. Muslims understand the concept of community far better than we westernized Christians do. The laws of Islam define every aspect of their lives. So when a Muslim becomes a follower of Christ, the only way they survive if they become part of a new community. They don't survive as individuals. Unfortunately, for a variety of reasons, churches have tend to isolate themselves. I remember when we first arrived in Lebanon uh, six years ago, the pastor of the largest Baptist church said, we have been a church for 40 years, but we don't know who our neighbors are. What do we do? And they had good reasons for isolating themselves because they had survived the Lebanese civil war when churches were threatened, when Christians were threatened. But when the wars ended, they still held the walls and the barriers around themselves. Uh, Bishop Kenneth Cragg, uh, who, uh, the veteran missionary uh, church leader, he tells a very amusing story of, um, uh, of uh, Robert Curzon in, uh, traveling through the mountains of Lebanon in 1849, looking for Christian manuscripts for the British mu Museum. And he comes to a particular monastery, and he's in that monastery, and he's having dinner in the refectory of the monastery. And while he's having dinner, there is a, a monk who's reading one of the sermons of St. Chrysostom. 
So very, very quiet devotional time, quietly in this candlelit uh, monastery, refectory, he's having dinner and he's hearing this beautiful sermon from the early church fathers. And he says, I'd been quietly dining in a monastery when shouts had been heard and shots had been fired against the stout bulwark of the outer uh, walls, which had little effect in altering the monotonous cadence with which one of the brotherhood read a homily of St. Chrysostom from the, from the uh, pulpit. So here he's having dinner and there's shots being fired. There's a riot taking place outside. And this monk continues reading as if nothing happened. <laughs> and what Bishop Kenneth Craig says, this is a vision of the way the church has survived. It has ignored the world and continues to function. So it preserves the church and the, the faith and the faithful. He says there's good reason for living like that when the church is under threat. He says, but in our modern world, that's, we don't live like that. The Muslim needs to not just hear a rational uh, explanation of what we believe, but to see the reality of how we live because of our faith. Muslim is a, uh, Islam is an all-encompassing religion, encompassing all aspects of their faith. So when they become a follower of Christ, they want to understand whether the Christian faith encompasses all aspects of their lives. They want to see the reality of Christ in the community of faith. John Howard Yoder, the Mennonite ethicist, he writes, he says, the church must be a sample of the kind of humanity within which, for example, economic and racial differences are surmounted. Only then will it have something to say to the society that surrounds it. We need to be the kind of community that reflects the kingdom of God, that reflects the beauty of Christ, and only then will we be able to speak. Let me go back to the story that I told you at the beginning where I mentioned about the woman in Calgary who was afraid that a woman, in, uh, that a woman coming down the street uh, wearing a hijab would kill her. I didn't know how to respond to her and those, this is one of those few times when the Spirit of God gives you the right words. And this is what I said to her. If he had stayed on the same side of the street and smiled at her, she would have probably died from a heart attack because she would not have been expecting kindness from you. Probably the greatest witness to the Muslims today is in a church showing kindness and unconditional love. Let me pray for us. Father, following Christ is just really difficult. And we realize that some of your sayings in scripture are really difficult to live out in our daily lives. But Father, make us people who reflect the beauty of Christ. Make us part of communities that demonstrate the reality of the kingdom of God. We realize we stand in your presence only because of Jesus. Amen.